Hey, DC fans, uh, it's Gary from Baden's Comics. Um, <laughs> I just want to let you know that uh, Burton's Comics is open and ready to serve you in Hamilton, Ontario, uh, down 725 Barton Street East. Um, coming for some deals on the weekend. Thanks. We are not quite terrors, but we're up in the night telling you of many tales. We are the justice and injustice and the injustice that can't be spelled without justice. We are the DC Animated Review Creature Creature, creature pardon me, and uh, I myself, the Fright Furball himself, the Fluffleupagus, the Mize, and I am here today with a two-time, two-time commentator of the year, Clowny J, and I'm also here with uh, the little one, um, well, the one with all the six face hair and all that jazz, you know. Uh, and uh, today we are here on Batman Day. Actually, we're just starting pretty much just after midnight. So Batman yeah, uh, on yeah on the the Batman Day, and uh, we're here to bring you our review of Batman Year One. And uh, I'm super stoked to get into that story. What's new and popping with you guys? Not much. Uh, happy September Batman Day. It is a second Batman Day of the year. Uh, normally they have one back in July, but because of fandom and just a bunch of news dropping, they did declare September 19th a Batman Day this year as well. Uh, so we figured what better film to do than a Batman origin story in Batman Year One. It's a great place to start off with, um, a great um, overall telling of origin for the Batman. Definitely a different twist aside from just, you know, seeing the Waynes get shot and then Bruce traveling the world. We get to see his uh, in Gotham progress and going into um, a wider environment of introducing other characters. And it, the film adaptation was beautifully written, just like uh, the book was. And uh, I was really enjoying uh, just uh, all the pre visual presentation of this movie. Uh, you know, let's not waste any time. Let's get right to Shauna, how you doing this week? You're sitting there all quietly on us. No, normally, you're the most talkative one on the podcast. I'm doing all right. Yeah? Yeah. Feeling good? I'm all right. Going to fall asleep on us this week? Maybe. We'll see. We'll see. We're going to take that bed. We're going to put it on in time there if we happen to catch it happening. That's okay. Everyone's hibernation cycle comes along every now and then. Feel free to tweet us with the hashtag little one sleeps or little one awake. Whatever the case may be, you know, we'll uh, feature and, you know, have, give you the results uh, just based on what transpires in the future. Just take bets. <laughs> yeah, take bets. We'll uh, have a drinking game. If Sean falls asleep, take a shot. There you go. Uh, what do you say we jump right into some news here? Uh, we don't have much, but I know this will make some people happy. Uh, Harley Quinn has been renewed for season three, and it will be strictly on HBO Max. That's a pretty cool movement for this show. It's been a really uh, popular DC Comics outlet as of the last couple of seasons. As a lot of you clearly have seen in the in the recent episodes, Alan Tudyk makes a marvelous Joker. Um, the Riddler is just a fantastic obscure inclusion in this in this series, and uh, just the overall like a uh, supporting team with Harley with Harley Quinn, uh, all the various characters uh, that she teams up with is just really cool. It's a hilarious adventure to go on. Now, this is the third show to be moved from the DC Universe app over on to Strictly HBO Max. This, of course, is following Titans and Doom Patrol with this move. And that is because also in news, they've announced that the DC Universe streaming service 
will now strictly be a comic book service. No longer will they have, be featuring movies or videos, but it'll be strictly a place to pick up your digital comics. It's pretty cool. It turns, um, it turns your usual physical subscriptions into something a little more sorted and electronic if you happen to enjoy reading that way. Uh, to those that still enjoy you know, going out and getting the books or having to mail to you, you know, still by all means, stick to what you love most. Um, but this is just a, an exciting new way to properly sort through various titles and even explore newer titles without having to worry about um, additional expense or anything like that. Unless, of course, they happen to use it as a system to still sell like the books and stories individually. Yeah, I myself, I can't get into uh, digital reading. Uh, I need the book physically in my hand. The um, deceased book is the one that keeps me going for like just uh, reading something digitally, primarily because it's a pretty essential piece of the upbringing of uh, certain characters that have been featured at the beginning of the deceased arc. Hey, if uh, if you can go to all those digital pages, you want to print them off uh, and staple the pages together, I'll read it that way. But uh, besides a panel or two at a time in a news clip, I can't do the digital comics. Kind of like a kind of like a draft, or, you know. Those are actually pretty fun to read, you know. Even if they are electronic, you know, I always enjoyed reading like draft scripts and all that jazz. Um, speaking of such, uh, one uh, one the writer for this movie, uh, Tab Murphy, uh, recently put news that he was going to be um, just uh, putting up installments of uh, his uh, script for Batman Year One, the film adaptation. So uh, you can go on and uh, join his uh, scarf. Uh, scarf posting group. Uh, you can also see what kind of stuff he and other people happen to post and discuss um, in the um, Atlantis the Lost Empire group posting. Uh, there's a bunch of other ones as well that relate to it, and these people are a lot of fun. But uh, yeah, he's uh, been kind enough to just express to everybody that, hey, this is where I'm going to be sharing uh, the script, and I'm going to be doing it in installments. You know, That way we get like a generous time to read through what we've been given, and then by the time we're done that, next one comes out. I think that's pretty awesome. So a huge shout out and thanks to him. I, I can't wait to see what he has next for us. That will be really cool for uh, the Facebook fans to be reading that. So it looks like Sean is looking up some news as we speak here and chewing on some popcorn. What do you got up for us? Oh, it looks like Pennyworth reveals that season two will be happening as well. And well, there is a surprise with uh, Martha Kane. Uh, Kane. Yes, AKA Martha Wayne. Yeah. Well, a very interesting product and development, I say. Well, I cannot wait to see what the what the series has for us uh, coming up. Did you watch Pennyworth? Uh, I didn't oh, yet. Yeah. So this is going to be super exciting being able to get into the show and right around the corner, boom, next season's going to come right out at us. Okay, looks like Sean has got a spoiler alert here for us. So if you don't want to hear what the possible twist may be, uh, skip ahead 15, 20 seconds. It looks like Okay, so, spoiler now, oh, during the panel, um, Hiller dropped a huge news that Martha is pregnant. There we go, so it looks like Martha Kent will be pregnant for the first time, and spoiler warning. That was um, some pretty impressive news, you know, it actually has me stoked to go and watch this show starting from the first season. Yeah, I might check it out. Uh, I know TV schedules will get kind of filled again coming up, as of course uh, October 4th on the CW, Swamp Thing will begin to air as a weekly series. This was the original season one that aired on the DC Universe, uh, so fans that didn't get a chance to catch it there will be able to catch it weekly starting in October. 
Mize, I'm looking at you on this one. Yeah, that's absolutely huge news. It's going to give me a good thing to watch at that time, you know, seeing it as like a, a new um, product, you know, that'll just give me the more incentive to go do it. So the fact that it's a DC production uh, TV series, live action, animated or otherwise, uh, is, um, you know, it should have been reason enough to go see it. But now uh, I'm just uber stoked to actually watch it uh, when it comes out in October or if I just so happen to be in need of a new series to watch. Uh, also in comics news, uh, in Detective Comics 1027 uh, that just came out, uh, Detective 27, I think they call it for shorthand, uh, they've made the Grey Ghost from the Batman the Animated Series finally panel canon, uh, following the likes of characters like Harley Quinn and the revamped origin of Mr. Freeze, uh, something else from the Deaniverse that's now made its way into straight-up canon. It should be a pretty good focus on the um, origin of Bruce Wayne as well, uh, not to mention that there should also be inclusion of uh, the Joker War. More detail on that in the series. It has been a fantastic read so far, and uh, I personally cannot wait to open that bad boy up. Uh, also in news, DC's Endless Winter Falls uh, and Dark Knight's Death Metal will both conclude uh, according to the December 2020 solicits. Well, at least I don't have much long to read it, and it's a good thing I can actually understand the most of it, because uh, for the good prices that I got them for online, I was able to pick up the prior Justice League books uh, all the way up to the Justice League Doom War. Even, like, I started reading the, the graphic novels at uh, Dark Side War just to, you know, bring myself up to a generic speed as to what was happening. So, um, yeah, with uh, all that making so much sense, the progression is going to be all the sweeter uh, come the time that I'll actually be able to pick up a lot of uh, various DC arcs that I happen to read in uh, softcover or hardcover, like uh, between October and December for quite a bit of them. And then I think not until April for the next one. And I believe that's all I've got for uh, main news. Uh, besides, you know, uh, in 2021, uh, I read this earlier, Sean is just pulling up in front of me. Stephanie Brown and Cassandra Kane uh, will be teaming up, and it looks like their story will lead to them rejoining the Bat family officially. With Lady Shiva. Well, that had to have been a hell of a family barbecue for them to squeeze on in that. Uh, so besides that, that's about wrapping it up for news. Uh, anyone else got anything? I don't see anything. I'm scanning. I'm just really happy that it was Batman Day. Indeed. Uh, so speaking of then, let's shuffle over to our uh, collectibles corner. Uh, and of course, the only thing that's really come in this week is the Murder Machine Funko. Yeah, he looks absolutely fantastic. And he's just a pleasant visualization amongst uh, the others of his category. Um, sitting just nicely next to Red Death. It was a really nice idea to place him, like, in that general vicinity there. Like, a lot of the vicious-looking ones and then a lot of the more nightmarish-looking ones. Um, it just, you know, has a great Batman screen for it, especially given the monumentation of today. Yeah, the only ones uh, that they really haven't announced yet is that they haven't announced uh, when the Drowned will be released or uh, what store will get the exclusive on that. They did say that they do intend to make one, though. All right. It's a pretty fucking stupid idea, but hear me out. The Drown Funko is exclusive to Marineland. I'll slap him for you. Thank you. No. It was where it was where that I regret nothing. 
If you want to see his uh, Funko, yeah, of course you can always John. check out uh, the Twitter page to check out not only the Funko shelf, but we got most of uh, the DC shelves set up now. Mm-hmm. Sorry, if you hear me distracted here, there's a little moth flying around the room, and I'm trying to smack it with an electric tennis racket. In the meantime, though, I just want to let you guys know that you're going to take part in celebrating Batman Day by uh, going on uh, social media, whether it be Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, whatever the case is, you know, hashtag uh, DC Comics and Batman and all that jazz, you know, don't forget to throw mention of us in there at the very least, too, but, uh, you know, just uh, throw up the thoughts of, like, what your favorite, like, story arcs uh, and your favorite character introductions, um, just, uh, highly uh, influential conflicts, anything like that, that the Batman's been a part of over the past decades. You know, the man's been around since the 40s, and uh, coming up until this point in time, the variety of story arcs that were told... Got him! Oh, we got him. Apparently, Clowny got him. Fantastic. Uh, all these various story arcs through multiple different uh, media outlets, there's a lot of tale to be told, and uh, knowing your favorites is uh, part of what makes Batman Day so great. So I hope to see a bunch of that up on, uh, again, uh, any form of social media, just so that way I can scope out, see what y'all like, see what y'all don't like about the Dark Knight. Ha! The little bastard's dead now. Maybe you and my popcorn. And Shauna is out of popcorn. Well, we can't have that, but what we can have is a quick commercial break, because we're out of news, we're out of Collector's Corner, uh, unless Mize wants to talk about the books he's been pulling off my shelves as he's been visiting for the week, we not, don't really have anything for what we're reading. Well, yeah, there's not a whole lot, really. I mean, uh, the cool thing is, is that I'll be able to go out for twice as many comics when I happen to return home, but it's nice to see a lot of uh, familiar titles from the past up on that shelf there. There's quite a bit of New 52 tales to be told in the various Green Lantern arcs he has, he goes through Blackest Night and Brightest Day. I think that is just fantastic. And uh, there's also various stories uh, revolving around uh, the Justice League, Batgirl, um, even the Watchmen. And then, hell, if I wanted to revisit the Deceased Dark, I know the books are up there. Doomsday Clock is up there as well. I know I haven't read that, so I know I'll be delving into that next chance I get. And he has a vintage <laughs> DC versus Marvel graphic novel, and it has been just a visual pleasure looking through there and seeing heroes converse and be like, well... It's nice meeting you. I gotta kick your ass now. And I don't know why. They don't know why. Only the cosmic beings that were one and now they're separate, but they're still kind of one, and they amalgamate everything, and the crossover event for it was just kind of weird, but it was a lot of fun. So this is what leads into that kind of jazz, and uh, certainly enjoy that vintage touch. No, I know it could never be done in live action, because, well, take a look at how much it would cost. But if you were to take the cast from Justice League Unlimited and those from uh, Avengers Earth's Mightiest Heroes, you could do a great Marvel vs. DC animated feature. I mean, I wouldn't see why not at the very least. Like, if you wanted to do one, you could even keep the ranks small on it. You could go the big trinity from each one. So you have the likes of Wonder Woman, Superman and Batman going up against Captain America, uh, Iron Man and Thor. In which case, all would be uh, just a fantastic matchup, regardless of which order you put it in. Unless you put the guys from Marvel against the guys from Marvel and the guys from DC against the guys from DC, that's going to complicate things a little bit. Not quite what they're looking to do, but, you know, the variety is still there. It's fun to imagine stuff. I mean, like, if Wonder Woman decides to turn around, kick Batman in the balls, and then uh, Captain America hits Iron Man with a jackhammer. All right. 
good to go on that. But even still, um, in all seriousness of it, it would be a great, uh, just a visual representation of who they're fighting with and who they're representing from their respective uh, reality and in part of the industry. They could even put it out as a uh, series of shorts that they then mash up with the technology that they're utilizing for the Death in the Family release coming out soon. Why not make it a cho- the viewer chooses who wins the battle? Given her popularity as of late, let alone over the course of the last decade of the DC Universe, I think including the likes of um, Stripes and uh, Stargirl would be fantastic. Because you got Pat, and you know he's just kind of standing around in uh, Stark's labs or Avengers headquarters, and he's having to look at the armor and whatnot, and he really wants to know how it's built and how it's done. And Tony would just look at him all like, you know, you wouldn't understand it's a mechanic thing, and that would just kind of like destroy Pat's world. <laughs> and just little hilarious notches there, just to say hello to the characters and uh, still continue on with great storytelling. Yeah, you would be able to get some uh, much cooler amalgamations of characters. Uh, we no longer have to be relegated to the Iron Lantern. No, I thought that was uh, kind of redundant. Um, also, as well, if I catch anybody fusing Robin and Jubilee together, I'll just... Sparrow. I'll spit on your bushes. Slap like, them. the outside bush. I don't know which outside bush, but I will spit on that bush. <laughs> it is Tim Drake, though. It was Tim Drake that she fused with. Oh, lightly spritz. Because in my ideal world, Nightwing would fuse with Daredevil. Dope. It would be a pretty interesting amalgamation between the two. Uh, I see um, Moon Knight being more of a Moon Knight and Hawkman. Oh, yeah, Moon Knight and Hawkman, definitely. But if it were, um, aside from that one, like being the obvious, uh, I would go like Moon Knight and Nightwing. Um you can amalgamate the names, or you can make a whole new character out of it. But still, yeah, um, like the one he mentioned there, it's a really good one. If you know the tale of Moon Knight, if uh, you're aware of uh, how Hawkman operates, then um, you know why they're so perfect for each other. Yeah, and if you're not, Moon Knight's going to have a series on Disney+, and Hawkman's going to be in the Black Adam film. Let's not forget about their hippie, wicked, cool roommate, Solomon Grundy. Somebody dies, they're just going to come back next week. Pretty much. Uh, but on that note, anyone got anything else before we take our first break? No. I have a 13 and a half inch IQ. Well, on that note, folks, let's cut to commercial. Do you like horror? Sci-fi? Superheroes? Comics and adventure? SunsetCrypt.com has you covered. With reviews and articles. Two associated podcasts. Hot damn! Topics on a ton of bullshit and all geekery grounds with Crypt Keepers Curtis Sturrock, Steve Brown, and Jeff Smith. SunsetCrypt.com. Only the reader knows what awaits them. And we are back, and we're going to jump right into Batman Year One. Uh, this was a 2011 release, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, got some great voice act. If you go back and reread the voice actors, it throws you off with who's all in this. You got, like, Brian Cranston's in this. Is he uh, Batman? I, I believe so. Uh, Eliza Dishku's in this as Catwoman. 
aside from uh, the uh, overall voice acting, the uh, like overall character inclusion, like a lot of the obscure names uh, from the comics that make an appearance in this, I found that pretty awesome. Uh, I was uh, relating to that, like, just as though I were reading the comic itself. Like, it's not often, you know, you get Carmine Falcone and Johnny B in the same, like, um, Batman animated feature. Uh, especially when it's supposed to primarily focus around the Dark Knight, by having these generic um, good versus evil style conflicts, things that are, you know, problems between the men who aren't, like, meta superpowered or anything like that. Um, they're just regular dudes with regular criminal intent or regular sense of justice kind of thing. But, of course, Bruce has his twist. So of course, you know what I mean on this front. So it's um, very inclusive, I guess would be the best way I could say it shortly. I don't know why I wouldn't have just said it shortly, but I said it the long way anyway. You never say anything the short way. No, because the short way is not the long, it's not the long way. And if it, I don't do the long way, it doesn't mean the short way. Which means I don't think of something to do for the short way before I think of something to do for the long way. Well, anyway, the cast has Ben McKenzie as Batman, which is really fucking funny because that's Jim Gordon on Gotham. I think that's a very nice coincidence and, uh, you know, just kind of foreshadowing for the better as well. I was uh, super, super stoked about that. Um, I really enjoyed Gotham. I really enjoyed Batman Year One, so this was just a plus. Uh, also, Brian Cranston is Commissioner Gordon. Eliza Dushku is Catwoman. Katie Sackhoff plays Sarah Essen. Uh, as well as, you know, we get then Alex Rocco as Carmine Falcone. We get an appearance by Steve Bloom a few times in this as other characters. Yeah, just like taking uh, an obscure point there. I mean, he and John Maggio are really good for that. So let's jump into it now. Of course, this is way before we get our new dancy, our fancy dancy DC intro. Uh, so it was cool to see the old school logo yet again. Uh, we open up on Gotham, which is looking a little more like New York City than normal. Uh, normally, uh, Metropolis is the one that looks like New York or Toronto. Uh, you know, Jersey or Hamilton is Gotham. Um, Bruce makes a really good point as he's descending into Gotham, though, about um, just his overall visual representation. Because you look at it from the height that the plane was at, you know, probably from their perspective, it still looks just as beautiful as we saw it. And then Bruce makes a good notion of that, you know, the closer you get, the closer it seems to be the enemy as opposed to that peaceful, uh, beautiful visualization you had earlier on. It was um, a really impressive, but a depressing, you know, just kind of a tone of return for Bruce Wayne. Now, the thing I always find funny just about the aesthetic of Gotham itself, Mize, is when Siegel and Schuster first designed Superman and Metropolis, they always said that the city itself was based off Toronto, Ontario. So if you think of Gotham, Gotham has always been the city across the water from Metropolis that looks like hell cracking through the pavement with a very industrial background. If Metropolis is Toronto... Does that make Gotham Hamilton, Ontario? It totally does, because if you look around, it's always dark, it's always rainy, like, Gotham. The streets are cracked. The streets they are even cracked. use it as Gotham when shooting Titans. I mean, we're pretty good for that. Uh, if we, if it, if it shows by, just by that uh, evidence in general, just for gritty uh, storytelling, I'm down for it, you know? Uh, I'm totally in for believing that would be the case. Um, I'm fairly certain they're both like Illinois or some shit like that. Yeah, in in uh, the American 
point of view, it would be like uh, New York, New Jersey. But the way it was initially designed was Metropolis was based off Toronto. And Gotham was Hamilton. Francis Manipool did that with uh, Central City for the flashback yep. during uh, some yep. of the earlier arcs. I thought that was really cool. It was a nice touch. And uh, it was just an overall impressive read. Um, I did have a copy of uh, just the first issue of uh, that beginning arc form signed by Francis Manipool. Nice. Super kitty to get it. And uh, it was just a story I actually read over and over again. It was a great tale to just continue on uh, if you have nothing else to read. Now, uh, this story continues on, and we'll find at times it gets a little, you know, writing it down, writing notes at least, was a little difficult at times, because this is two stories that are intertwining until they really connect together at and the end. And go really quickly. Oh yeah, it's a really fast-paced movie. Uh, had we thought of this beforehand, I would have had you cover all the Batman stuff and Bruce Wayne, and yeah. I would have covered just Commissioner Gordon. Well, that would have been absolutely like fantastic insane. because uh, well, there's still like quite a bit of like intervals for um, Bruce Wayne because there's a, a lot more for the Gordon story, uh, story mm-hmm. time. Um, being it an introductory story uh, to both of these men's tales of their you know adventures and uh, their experience in Gotham City. Um, it's no wonder that everything has to move at such a fast pace to be able to cover all that backstory that was managed and, and which was just done excellently. And we are talking about an entire year on film here. Uh, you talked about Bruce arriving on his plane. Well, on the opposite side of the coin, we have Jim Gordon arriving via the train system, saying that he paid for his wife to fly in, Barbara. Uh, however, he sees Gotham as no place to raise a family. It seemed to be the only option, however, for them, and um, it's uh, kind of depressing for a police officer to have to be sent to some place like that. I mean, you ever see the movie Hot Fuzz? You know, Jim Gordon deserves oh, that kind of oh, that movie's fantastic. But Jim Gordon deserves what uh, what uh, Angel got. Uh, now, uh, this is just the first of the opening monologues for both guys. It'll be a uh, regular storytelling device throughout the entire film is the two of them basically just cutting promos. Uh, I love that device, especially for this origin tale. Uh, But we got our first date on screen of January 4th. Uh, There's a monk selling books at the train station. Uh, When Detective Flass shows up, he had been sent by Loeb to make sure Jimmy gets in okay. Um, And he did mean okay because um, Flass felt the uh, solicitor was a little much. And then proceeded to behave as such uh, by disposing of him in a manner that was, in fact, a little much. And next up, you see a uh, uh, an arrivals board for the different trains. And I know, as the Easter egg hunter that I am, I spotted some of these right away. I paused it. We all grabbed a couple of favorites off this list. Uh, so there's about six or seven really good ones on here. Let's all go over two. Shauna. Two of them off the list that stood out to you. Um, Star City, <clears throat> Midway. Right, so there's so Star City and Midway, of course. Star City, home of the Green Arrow. Midway, we hear it come up many a times. Uh, part of the Suicide Squad live-action film took there. Harley Quinn has set up base in there. Mize, two of those cities that stand out to you. Um, one was uh, Fawcett City. That one just kind of like popped right out at the beginning, and then uh, it followed up with Metropolis. I had I expected it, but it was still nice to see in regards to being so close to Gotham. Uh, so they're 
ties just become that much greater based on these origin tales. And of course, Fawcett City is home of the old Fawcett Comics characters. Uh, you got the entire Shazam family is based out of Fawcett. Isn't that just fantastic? Oh, uh, right. As well as, of course, he said Metropolis, uh, Superman, the entire Super family. Uh, other ones I thought were cool were Empire City got a shout out. Uh, that's one of the lower tier cities. You don't really hear a lot about that one. And the other cool one was Keystone City, home of Jay Garrick. Absolutely. Yeah. That, is a, that is a fantastic conclusion there. You could have done Central City and kept it easy, but no, you yes. just wanted to throw a notch out to all the different ages of comics, and I think that's really cool. So yeah. shout out to the animators for throwing in all these cool ta cities, as well as, you know... Even the... General City was in there. Yeah, General City was listed, as well yeah. as a lot of legit ones, too. You know, Ottawa and Montreal oh. both had train depots. Uh, there was a connection to get to Seoul, South Korea, which was really yeah. nice. But it felt very relatable seeing um, Canadian hotspots and uh, Gotham City's a train station, uh, especially all the way out in Gotham. So um, <coughs> that must be one hell of a journey to make there. But you know what? It's it's on there for them. I thought that's really cool. But at these plane arrivals, so lands the private jet of one Bruce Wayne arriving back home after 12 years. Uh, now, we've done the math, 12 years away, Bruce, Bruce Wayne mentions that he's, uh, this would be, make him about 21, because he's now legally able to take over the family estate, that adds up because he's about 9 when his parents are shot, yeah. so 12 years later would make him 21. And just coming back out of the blue like that, and just making this appearance, I don't know how anybody would have even heard the news that he was making his return. Uh, maybe he somehow managed to set that kind of thing up himself where he dropped an anonymous leak and people went to report on it. Um, or somebody else could have just caught wind somehow, some way. I don't know how, I don't know who, but there's uh, probably a few different ways that people could have found out. So, of course, he was met with surprise and paparazzi as soon as Bruce made the scene, like as soon as he was off the plane. Of course, probably with women all over him and... Oh, of course, Vicky Vale was like right. ogling him right there on the right interview, there, which right. great inclusion right there using Vicky Vale as the reporter, young this reporter on scene. Oh man, she wanted that Brucey pee pee. She definitely did. Well, from there we do cut into uh, Commissioner Loeb's office, where he is, you know, introducing himself and reading the file of Jim Gordon. Uh, if you look directly behind Commissioner Loeb, there is a little foreshadowing of Gotham's future. With a prominent clown poster right behind him. Yeah. Uh, that was pretty awesome. Also, what was going on behind him was a TV report regarding uh, Loeb, a uh, missing person, um, all involved with some scandalous activity as his uh, role as a commissioner. So, um, in this time frame that uh, the report's going on, though, Loeb is just speaking with Gordon. He wants to make sure that he's on board with how things operate. And Gordon just says, yeah, I know how things work. But... I just don't know if he knew that they worked in a different sense of what he was referring to. Yeah, Loeb definitely doesn't care about yeah. honesty, and he made that quite clear. Uh, Flass made that quite clear, nope. uh, especially as he and Gordon go for their first drive around, and Flass flat out shakes down a kid, uh, out, assaulting him, whereas Gordon is sitting in the car and studying him. Noting that he's got the training of a green beret. Which he does, however, go and ask him if he, he thinks he's went too far. Yeah, if that was necessary. He does ask, but he made sure to study him first. 
it's uh, pretty important to do so because Gordon somehow knew that um, his methodology and the way that Flask and Lobe operate are two entirely differing, you know, sides of the coin there. So, of course, conflict was going to emerge and Gordon needed uh, just a little bit of, um, I guess, visual study would be the best way to put it. And to end this day, we do get the mandatory Bruce laying flowers at his parents' graves. Absolutely. During the time that Floss and, uh, and Jordan, uh, Gordon me, were uh, driving around there, Bruce did make his way home and Alfred was super overjoyed to see him. So it was uh, kind of nice to see Alfred happy for a change uh, coming into that. So after everything goes down, he returns, uh, Floss and Gordon have their tidbit, and the kid gets beaten up for no reason whatsoever. Um, yeah, Wayne, he does what well, any variation of Bruce Wayne would do, and he goes to visit his parents' grave. It's just super important for him to have that moment there, especially being away from his childhood home, being away from his parents, whether or not they happen to be around, so it were. Uh, so, just at least that one moment there before Bruce begins to fulfill his promises that he happened to have made before he left. Uh, this is when we start seeing how fast-paced this movie's going to be for us. Uh, we get a quick shot of February 12th. There is a cop car chase. Uh, Flash is just explaining to Jim that, hey, the other boys on the force are starting to get worried that you might not be playing exactly on the same side we are. Uh, Jim reassures him, trust me, we're all on the same team. And boom, we jump ahead again to February 21st. Uh, where we see Bruce's training in uh, his backyard. He feels he's not ready. He's got the skills. He's got the abilities. But there is something that's missing. Yeah, Bruce did feel a large amount of emptiness before, you know, everything was perfected, as it were. Um, being given the visage of the Batman. Um, so, of course, uh, the amount of development for Bruce Wayne is just fantastic in this film. I really enjoyed that. And they're going over... Um, key points in Bruce's um, character build for becoming the Batman. And boom, we jump ahead again now to February 26th, one day after uh, the little one's birthday. Yeah. Uh, and Gordon is, is just being a good cop, which of course is rubbing people the wrong way. Yeah, um, especially Loeb and Flask in particular. So they are discussing Gordon's presence how it's uh, affected their matter of production, um, and it, the fact that you lectured them, I thought it was pretty cool. Um, I enjoy that whole, like, um, white knight at uh, Jim Gordon, uh, especially since he's so fresh to the Gotham, Gotham Police Force. From there again, we jump ahead, uh, March 11th, uh, and uh, in the parking lot, Jim Gordon gets jumped by a bunch of quote-unquote unidentifiable people in ski masks, but we can tell obviously by the boy voice that this is Flass, as well as a few other police officers. Gordon happens to catch on right away as well, because he knows full well how to put two and two together. So, um, the just overall like, intimidation factor, any normal person would be scared out of, like, scared out of their wits that this is happening, especially in Gotham. So, Jim handling it as he did was um, absolutely huge. Like, he took a ferocious beating from Flass and his boys. Uh, from there, we see Bruce is in his car, 
and he's starting to go undercover. You know, he's putting a big identifiable, identifiable scar upon his own cheek. Yeah, like who'd have thought, right? Most people would just grab a pair of glasses, but Bruce, he was an innovator. Uh, and he heads out into the porn district of Gotham as we, you know, he starts a fight yes. with a pimp over uh, Holly Robinson, who probably, what, nine at this time? She's like ten at the most. Um, it's very, uh, it's very concerning that a girl of that young age would be out and well, of course, the whole due process of the events would, uh, you know, just kind of shock anybody in today's day and age if they were just seeing it for the first time. Um, but given it is an older time period, and that's what pimps were like, and apparently started young in Gotham. And, uh, well, Bruce was having none of this, but then apparently Holly was having none of it. I have no idea why Holly was having none of it. Like, her life is being saved, and she's just like, you know what, I'm going to go with the devil I know and decides to shit first. It's Stockholm Syndrome, dude. It's madness. She's, she's so attached to Selena that she doesn't understand there's another world out there where she could be saved. That's actually a great way of putting it. Right? Well, Selena should have known better than to let a child be involved in this kind of scandalous world. Right? But, like, her mom just leaves her with some hooker. Uh, the DC Universe just has great parenting skills. <laughs> They're either dead or leaving them with someone. Uh, but, uh, you know, Disguised Bruce does knock out the pimp played by Steve Bloom. That's when Holly stabs him. Yeah, she stabs him. Uh, Bruce then throws her to the ground and she hurt, like holds her knee. Just like, you know, to use the phrase uh, from Jason Mewes, holding her knee like a... Um, uh, like a little girl with a skin uh, fucking knee. And that causes Selena Kyle to jump out of a window. And we got our... And we got a fight scene between Selena and Bruce where we see they are pretty evenly matched up in hand-to-hand combat. It was pretty cool just to see Bruce in action with the thugs down on the street, but the fact that they threw in Selena for this was uh, really generous. Um, so being able to see them go at it for the first time, but, you know, not quite as Batman and Catwoman. It's still a nice, familiar point, and it's still good storytelling in my books. And, uh, of course, uh, like uh, any given fight in Gotham City, it just ends with the Popo shooting somebody. Yeah, the cops get a little too, uh, 2020 for us and shoot first, ask questions later. As they plug Bruce Wayne in the shoulder... And just throw him in the back of the cop car. Uh, flat out saying, you know, we'll pin something on him. Well, of course. I mean, what do you expect him to do? Talk to him? Uh, Bruce is able to Bruce his way out of it. Uh, slipping the cuffs under his ass. Getting his knees up. Uh, takes out the cops. Crashes the car. And, you know, he still shows these pieces of scum mercy. Oh, yeah, he topples everybody over, and it's absolutely hilarious um, how he manages to do it. All they had to do was pull over, but Gotham City Police Department just have a regular crazy dude in the backseat of the car, so what do they have to worry about, right? Yeah, it is an everyday thing in Gotham to have a crazy person on you. Uh, but then we cut back over to Jim, and Bruce isn't the only one getting himself up to trouble. Uh, Jim calls into the police station, finds out that Flass is registered as being off that night, but Dispatch just happens to throw in the extra exposition 
Uh, you know, he's got some friends and they all go play poker at this one guy's house every week. So Jim tracks down this house, waits about half a block away, and he follows up uh, by following Flass's car and sideswipes him off the side of the goddamn road. Yeah, it was a it was a nice little uh, scene of him chasing up to him and then catching him by surprise. Uh, pretty much in Buck Buck Idaho, um, that part of Gotham there, you know, that little pocket of dark nobody bothers to look in. So, uh, of course, uh, Gordon gets out. Flask gets out. Gordon has Flask at gunpoint, and uh, I honestly thought, you know, they were going to take that alternative route with him and have Gordon just like shoot him in the legs a couple times and leave him be. And then that'll have us talking about the story arc. Oh, no. They went ahead and they did the whole bit where uh, Gordon gave him the bat. And, of course... Yeah, uh, let's talk about that for a second. Gordon is officially the first Batman we see in this. As he steps out of the car with a bat in his hand. But he gives it to the other guy. Yeah, yeah. And he's like, you know what? You need this more than I do in this situation. Which shows you the fucking badass that Jim Gordon is. Absolutely. Whatever background they've given to Jim Gordon has not failed on us so far. Um, It's been giving us a a lot of pleasure, except for when he actually put on the Batman suit. I just felt really silly. The giant robot armor suit? Uh, Yeah, yeah, and then the Batman in the Tron-type pajamas, that kind of thing. Yeah. Aside from that, though, yeah, um, uh, Gordon was that fly kind of Batman, and uh, he was a generous one of that gave uh, Flash the advantage of uh, repeating what he did in the garage, but now that Gordon was expecting it and they were alone, things were entirely different, and that was just the coolest whooping I've seen in a, in a DC movie. Um, I have my favorite spots for violence in uh, DC movies and all that, but that's still like just one of the top ones, like especially in uh, you know finding justice scenario. Yeah, not only that, but after Jim fucking wrecks Flash, he leaves him fucking naked and face down in the snow. In the snow. Now, I've been swimming, and I know what a, a warm pool can do for shrinkage. I, I don't... <laughs> That's great. That's epic. I, I have no idea what being naaked in the snow would do to a poor man. Oh, that's not cool, yeah. It's like you can play Where's Waldo every day. <laughs> Uh, but uh, yeah, no, that is actually the case for one Detective Flass as he's left uh, nude and unconscious in the snow. Uh, we then cut back to a bloody Bruce. He had crashed his car onto Wayne Manor and dragged himself into the study where he has the epic speech with uh, his father's uh, likeness on uh, bust form. Yeah, he's uh, just questioning his purpose overall. And uh, just the sense of despair was uh, really, really intense to watch. Uh, This is, you know, the classic speech from the comics uh, that we did not get the end sentence to, much to, I know, Mize's dismay. We did not get the sentence, I shall become a bat. Yeah, we we got up to... um, to I I know what I must do. Yeah, I'm... That's still that's still pretty cool. I just would have really liked to hear the whole "I shall become a bat" thing. I thought that would just cinch it right in there. But whatever the case is, it still progresses beautifully. I just I just missed the phrases all. Well, from there we jump ahead a little more now to April fourth. Uh, Jim Gordon is sipping from his world's greatest dad mug 
Uh, it is revealed that Barbara is pregnant for the first time. With James. Yeah, with James. Uh, but he gets a message in his car that there is a mental patient that has gone loose, uh, and he has taken some children hostage. There is no Batman around at this time, so of course stuff like this is um, going to have to be dealt with the whole proper police way. So uh, Gordon, of course, being the good copy, is just, you know, hammers his way down there. Um, he wants to negotiate as opposed to uh, SWAT aggression, which sounds like a really good idea. There are children in there, and uh, regardless of whether or not they're Gothamites, um, their lives are still at risk, and that needs to be taken into huge consideration. So the best thing to not happen is sending SWAT people in there. So it's good that Gordon um, went in, but... You know, he could have had at least one other person go in with him, but it's um, a Gordon development, so why the hell not? I enjoy seeing Gordon do the long stuff from time to time. Yeah, Lieutenant Brennan wants to move in on the house. Uh, it's being shown on the TV, and we see uh, Barbara, his uh, Jim's wife, <laughs> uh, sitting there. She's got the whole T-shirt on, you know, baby with the arrow pointing down. We're but, sick and shit. Sure. But let, let's not talk about the shirt or her worry. Let's talk about the poster behind Barbara Gordon's back that has the word blam written on it. Oh, that was Barbara a pretty cool Gordon touch. with a blam with a blam to her back. Yeah. Her back. Yeah, that is Man, it's just touching down on a lot of stuff. That's just outstanding. Um, however, what is outstanding is still the hostage situation that Gordon has to make his way through. Um, he's ascending through uh, this apartment building or whatever kind of building he happens to be in for wherever it is. And uh, by the time he gets uh, close to the top there, the door kind of creaks open and out comes this, this insane dude holding a child, you know, gun to the kid and everything like that. He just does not, he does not like lunch. No lunch! Whoever the hell he is, he does not like lunch. And to you, sir, I say humbug. Everybody loves lunch. Yo, all three of us had a great lunch today. I had a frozen pizza that I topped some female bacon and extra cheese on. Mize, you rocked a couple of female bacon sandwiches. Shauna had her gluten-free um, what Italian... Yeah. Italian. Oh, is this the Italian macaroni? Uh, macaroni. Oh, so you know, uh, he's he says no lunch, but to ye him I say fuck you, pro lunch. Uh, and uh, in the name of um, pro lunch, um, we happen to get the turn of the luck with uh, the opportune cat, as I call her. Uh, she just happens to make it just striking enough noise that Gordon can just kind of overwhelm the Arkham inmate patient and get the better of him, more or less. Um, all in all, the children are fine. The dude is out, and you know what? Gordon brought gun for everybody, and if that's not a yes, cool because, fucking cop, I don't know what is. Yes, because scared men are kidnapped children. That's all they want in life is a piece of gum from yeah. there. Finally, <laughs> it's about man. goddamn time. Oh out. my god, I've been so scared all day. That gum, that made me feel so amazing. Thank you, uh... Yeah, you know, I just had a gun to my head and a guy shooting at me about the second meal of the day. But what I really need is this piece of juicy fruit. <laughs> Thanks, Mr. Gordon. Well, I guess the taste was supposed to move them. <laughs> well, whatever the case was, uh, all was well. The children were saved. And uh, even before there was a Batman. Thus, uh, just showing you the kind of powerful influence and uh, courage that Jim Gordon shows throughout the entire film. And with that, let us take our first commercial break 
before we jump a little more into the future. Do you want your ad here? Talk about anything you want. Your comic podcast, album coming out. Do you have a YouTube channel you wish to promote? Hit us up at Twitter, at Mize1987, or at ClownyJ, and ask about putting your ad on the DC Animated Review podcast. Boom! We're back from commercial break, and it is now April 5th. Uh, Bruce has got his target, or sorry, Jim Gordon's got target practice going on as he's at the shooting range. Uh, you know, all in the head, he's got a perfect shot, as well as we're seeing an ultrasound being taken. Uh, he's getting his first look at his child uh, in life. Uh, we'll cut ahead again to April 16th. Uh, Jim, you know, he's starting to have regrets about bringing his family to Gotham in the first place. Well, uh, also as well, Loeb and, um, Captain, uh, the SWAT captain, I can't remember his name right off the bat. Uh, Brendan. Brendan. Brendan, okay, um, yeah, they were not, um, totally happy with Jim Gordon's recent presence either. Um, that they had discussed him being around just as though, uh, Loeb and Floss were discussing, uh, his presence as of late, the whole goody-two-shoes but not flying so well, but it seems to be doing marvels for Gordon as it, things just seem to be getting better for him, you know? Um, like Jay said, he was in that crackpot at the, at the gun range. He's, uh, you know, with Barbara doing the ultrasounds, just overall having a strong, like, um, compassionate, like, presence with her. It's a lot, it's a lot of emotion for him. Especially in Gotham, you know? I did not expect to see that kind of, like, fairy tale happiness for one person. Uh, now this is also, we got Jim sitting on his bed on April, at the night of April 6th, getting ready to go to sleep. He's in his introspective thoughts, uh, but very quickly, in the background, leaping on the rooftops, we see a caped figure. Yep. Yeah, just leaping among the rooftops, none, none to be the wiser. Uh, a few days later, it's April 9th, uh, you know, Jim's back, uh, as life is... Uh, you know, it's going great for him, but, you know, things can always take a, a, a side twist as we get our first look of uh, what would be the Batman in action. Jim got the call that uh, the bat was spotted, and uh, he wanted a piece of that action for sure. Um, he, Batman just kind of vaguely succeeds in uh, a foiling crime as of late. He's still, you know, just kind of getting into the squeak of things. Um, in this time, uh, squeak bat. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's good. Uh, during this time, though, uh, Gordon is having a bit of a conference with everybody at GCPD regarding uh, the presence of the bat, um, how he's been described, any visual representations uh, that the illustrator could come up with uh, regarding his description. And there's quite a few different variations, but um, one person who did manage to see and describe the situation regardless of how inflated or exaggerated it may be, was uh, one detective flask who was uh, patched up pretty swell. Yeah, this is on April 12th. Uh, this is also the same day that Detective Essen arrives and is introduced to the, uh, the bullpen. Uh, and is then asked, hey, Flass, uh, you've had one encounter with this bat. Uh, you know, there's the three different drawings, uh, one of which looks pretty accurate, one looks pretty good, and the third one looks a little more man-batty. Yeah. I thought that was a nice little touch there, you know, just throwing in that man-bat factor. Um, 
it's nice to have little notches for Kirk Langstrom, you know? Uh, but this is where Flash starts saying that all of his injuries were because Batman attacked him in his squad. And he starts telling a story where we're getting the visuals for what actually happened. And as <laughs> always, Flash's words aren't always on the up and up. Flash described it as uh, he was um, on this uh, courageous crusade and stopping um, like a cocaine deal from going down by himself. And there's a bunch of guys with guns. And then all of a sudden, Batman showed up and pretty much broke and killed everybody. And, well, he told a story in this manner so that way he could find means to, you know, participate in the silencing of any additional presence that could go against him. Um, in which case, uh, what actually had happened was that Batman had come across uh, Floss and um, whoever was whoever it was he was dealing with for drugs specifically, and uh, he beat the high holy fuck out of them both, and it was just a marvelous a marvelous thing. Uh, this is when we cut to May nineteenth, uh, perhaps one of my favorite scenes in this movie, and that is the mob dinner scene. I even wrote down here on my notes just mob dinner, chef's kiss. Yeah. Uh, we see Bat the Batman arriving and setting up his projectors outside as the gangsters inside are talking about him. We see Batman setting up his explosives to burst through the wall. He's cutting power. The likes of Commissioner Loeber attending this party. Um, uh, obscure family members such as Johnny Beatty are attending. Um, especially on behalf of uh, his family out in uh, Chicago, um, I'm fairly certain that would be uh, the VDs. Um, there's also uh, other like really great mentions. Uh, Carla. There's also uh, Sofia Gigante, Salvatore Moroni, the likes, of course. And um, they're just going on about you know their kind of things, the corruption in Gotham, and the presence of the Batman and Jim Gordon, which is a uh, you know just. Pretty generic stuff if it's that threatening. And of course, Jim Gordon has been a bit of a nuisance to them. This is, of course, when the wall comes tumbling down uh, figuratively and literally for these mobsters as the bat, you know, lights go out, smoke, darkness, and he gives his classic, none of you are safe speech. It is a, just a monumental one. It's... Um, so intimidating when you see it animated. Um, it was a marvelous, just <coughs> fantastic uh, scripture when you read it in comics. And uh, then uh, you come around to the whole none of you are safe bit. Um, it's been touched on in the likes of uh, The Haunted Night, which was done by Jeff Loeb and uh, Tim Sale. And uh, they did the tale of uh, the hangman killer shortly following after the holiday fiasco. Um, it was huge stuff, and one of the hangman puzzles was um, either nine of you are safe or none of you are safe. And uh, if you happen to go and read the story, you happen to get introduced to Robin in this story, in this variation, and uh, he provides uh, quite a bit of insight, which is pretty surprising. Uh, just right off the bat, finding insight, he's like, "Hey, I see this from this perspective," and Bruce is all like, "Well, son of a bitch, if that." Well, I wish I sure had saw that, and then he took credit for it anyway. As he always does. Absolutely. Uh, after this uh, great scene, we fade out and back into June 2nd. Uh, there's a woman walking through uh, the Gotham Knights. We hear Bruce saying she walks a little too well in heels. Uh, most women can't walk that well in those these days. Obviously knows that she's a trained officer and this is a trap. 
Yeah, he puts on a pretty nifty rehearsal and scenario going throughout the various parts of Gotham, hopefully hoping to attract the attention of the bat. I think that's pretty smart, you know, if you have your officers run like a certain distance, but if the Batman's followed and seen all these similar situations going on, especially for a relative amount of length or length, like length of time, um, I don't know how well Bruce's detective skills have built, um, you know, over the course that he's been gone or been back to Gotham and everything. Uh, we also, of course, are checking in with Falcone during this time. Yeah, he's uh, speaking with Johnny regarding uh, just a little bit of offing that needs to be done. Uh, we then cut over to June 6th, and... Uh, we get a nice little chuckle here because Jim Gordon is interrogating the local DA. <laughs> or sorry, the uh, a man who applied for the DA position but has not yet gotten the job. Yeah, uh, it's very nice to see Harvey Dent uh, in any way, shape, or form, whether it's a Two-Face or even just as Harvey Dent, you know? Just more character development to go on with. And um, the fun thing about this character development is that it went a little bit of a different direction by having um, Batman, you know, being cahoots with Harvey Dent before Jim Gordon, whereas um, we were more prominently recognizable to Batman working alongside Jim Gordon far before he did with Harvey Dent to begin with. Um, that's how I saw it at the very least in uh, The Long Halloween, uh, other variations of comics as well, um, just having Jim Gordon around, uh, especially television series where Batman and Gordon always meet on the roof, you know, so I was just surprised by this uh, turn of events. Uh, this is where we find out that Essen is probably the smartest cop on the force, as she right away puts together, you know, Bruce Wayne is probably Batman. Absolutely. Harvey could be Batman, but even with the, the position he's in, he doesn't have the kind of funds it would take to afford the Batmobile, the suit he's wearing, the tools he uses, and not to mention uh, the price for experience for like martial arts and uh, all the different kinds of fighting forms that Batman utilizes. Uh, so, yeah, she figures that Bruce Wayne would be the one to go with there because the man has a fantastic physique. Uh, he has the wealth and, of course, just the secrecy overall. Um, he could, in fact, be the Batman that the Gotham City Police Department are after. Uh, and speaking of being after him, it uh, sounds like they may have him cornered uh, uh, into a building here now as Brandon is being called in to... Uh, start bombing this old abandoned building. Yeah, there was a bit of a uh, chase that went down regarding the duty with passed out at the wheel, and of course, uh, Batman being Batman needed to help out. The police uh, still, however, did come after the Batman, and uh, Batman attempts a pretty brave escape. Um, despite Gordon's uh, protest for further action, the police still bomb the building uh, to kill or at the very least draw out the Batman, and the bomb it they do later fairly rough on him. Um, the utility belts busted. Um, the Selena and Holly were made a little bit nervous of. Uh, yeah, they were watching uh, uh, through the window because it was only a few blocks away. Selena didn't care unless it was on the news or some shit like that because, let's face it, it's a, an explosion halfway across town. I don't want anything to do with it either. So, unless it's going to be on TV, I wouldn't really care about it. But um, back in the action, though, uh, the SWAT, um, you know, all the team, like the ground forces, they finally arrive, so that way they can chase down and finally catch the Batman. 
and uh, it's sound. It's looking pretty bad for Batman at this point. Yeah, he's pinned down. He's trapped. Uh, however, Batman's got a Batman. He's got a blow dart with about three needles in it, uh, and just a couple of other little gadgets left after the utility belt did catch fire. One uh, one item really panned uh, out really well for him in the long run, and uh, that seemed to have been a supersonic emitter that signaled for the immediate like, presence of a... Yeah, we'll get to that in a second. First, he's got to go through these cops first. Uh, and the first thing he does is he saves a kitty cat while he's being shot at. Well, yeah, the cat didn't do nothing, so of course he's got to save the cat. All these actions, Gordon is telling the, uh, the people, you know, by doing this, you're just making a hero out of the Batman, uh, you know, in public eye. Uh, Batman does ride a motorcycle through. Uh, so we got our first look at the Bat Cycle. The bats are on the way. Yeah, and then uh, he hits that emitter to give himself uh, that shade of cover with the Bat Cycle. He went through uh, quite a few of the police officers along the way while the bats were making their way over there. I thought that was still cool that he put up the fight, you know, cornered him off and, uh, you know, kept it nice and simple. Single file fuck ups for everybody. Uh, then we cut on to June 9th. Uh, Bruce Wayne's people, so Alfred, is telling the police that Bruce has injured himself skiing in the Alps. Uh, Essen, again, being the smartest one in the room, going, you know, a bunch of cast would cover up the injuries that uh, the cops say they gave Batman. Absolutely. If it wasn't for that sonic emitter, I don't think Bruce would have made it half as far as he did, let alone back home to be able to put together a crazy tale of um, just spontaneous injury, especially during a time frame where the police had chased down and severely injured the Batman. Uh, this is where Selena decides they're done with the hook life. And she goes and knocks out the Steve Bloom pimp. <laughs> he got fucked. Uh, and just takes Holly for herself. Uh, and this is where Jim and Essen also decide, you know, we should grab a coffee. We gotta go. We're heading home in the same direction anyway. Let's just go grab a coffee. Yeah, they want like a nightcap or some shit. Probably. Uh, whatever the case is, they take up on it, of course. They want their... Uh... They want their little time together, I guess, uh, just a little break from the workforce. And uh, we come uh, we come into the conflict of a little heavy rain, you know? And of course, uh, like any sensible person doesn't want to get caught in the rain in Gotham. Apparently that shit's dirtier than uh, the cure toxin from the Scarecrow. Uh, and the rain, you know, the thunderstorm scares Essen just a little bit as she nudges into Jim, and they share themselves a little smoochy smooch. Oh, Jim did a big no-no because he's got that wife thing going on. Oh, uh, man. From there we cut, you know, quite a bit in distance in time. Uh, we don't even see July as we're cutting from June 9th to August 7th now. And uh, Selena just spent the last of hers and Holly's money. It's not even Halloween yet, but she bought herself a cat costume. A woman dressed as a cat, like some kind of Catwoman? Absurd. We'll never see or hear that kind of thing again. Uh, Jim is, of course, feeling guilty because of his affair with uh, Essen. Yeah, he's really going to town on his own mental capacity there. Uh, he feels it's probably best to confess to Barbara regarding the situation. Uh, he questions his own purpose as a, as a cop and a man, really. You know, uh, everything that's happened. 
And he just feels there's bad bound to happen from all the apparently good or at least, you know, optimistic scenarios that he's been a part of. From there, we cut over to September 2nd. And Essen says, you know what? I understand. I'll request a transfer. Yeah, it's a little much because, you know, they discuss things and Essen wants a, a relationship with Jim. But Jim has James on the way. And he's still married to Barbara, and he can't commit to that kind of thing with her. But, you know, he doesn't mind the fun still, apparently. Should have seen if Barbara was interested. Oh, my God, really? Come on now. Uh, from there, we cut up to uh, 10 days later. We're on September 12th now. Uh, you know, Jim is just uh, processing files... Uh, he's going through life and, uh, you know, sorry, my notes here. And Batman just, you know, it, it, the whole thing just kind of starts breaking him emotionally. More or less, yeah. Um, not to mention that that convict from uh, earlier on in the Flask case uh, happened to have made bail. Um, I'm guessing that they were paying for his silence, more or less, by, you know, granting him that release and then paying him thousands of dollars, whatever the case may be. But um, he has a sudden change of heart when, uh, you know, a little, something a little more dangerous than Santa makes his way down the chimney. As um, we get a Batman going into his apartment and uh, he lets him know about pain. And he commits to that quite well as he interrogates, um, or at the very least torments um, this uh, juvenile into go, coming up and testifying uh, against the crime families and the corruptions. Uh, yeah, that, that's on uh, the next day on the 13th, uh, followed by the 14th is when Floss is accused <clears throat> of, uh, you know, his drug trafficking. And, uh, you know, Loeb uh, has to start putting in his papers. Yeah, he threatens, he uh, goes right up and threatens Gordon. And he's just all like, dude, this, this shit's got to stop. Or we're coming out to your wife and letting her know about the affair you had. And they just pull that fast one bullshit out on Gordon, which is um, expected, but still unfair, especially for how hard that Jim Gordon's worked over the course of the time he's been in Gotham. And by this point now, it's September 25th, uh, 5th, and Barbara's just about ready to pop. Oh, yeah, James is ready to come out and be welcomed into the world of Gotham. Of Gotham. Outstanding. Uh, Bruce, however, you know, it, it's after the ultrasound. Uh, Bruce's people calls into the police. He, yeah, he's ready to uh, be interviewed by you. Uh, so Jim and Barbara grow up to, uh, to meet Bruce, who has a hooker there. That is just absolutely fantastic. Wayne's uh, putting on that Playboy front, and of course, can't be done without a woman on his arm. And he has to make her sound exotic when she just probably came from the upper lower part of Gotham. Um, which is, I guess, mediocre pickings. Whatever the case may be. Um, Wayne has this woman in there with them and he's got the whole, like, you know, just his robot kind of sensation. So that way he can just get through things. He's living life casually. He doesn't really care about anything. Yo, not only that, but he sits directly across oh from God. James, uh, from Barbara Gordon. And opens his legs up with this robe before just crossing tell, them openly. You can tell by the way she looks that he wasn't wearing anything 
Yeah, she definitely got a good look at the bat pole. Yeah. Oh my god, if he stretched, that would be the bat wing. Because it looks like a bat wing. <laughs> oh man. <clears throat> it's funny stuff. Um, but yeah, afterwards, the Jim and Barbara take off. And uh, <laughs> and Jim tells her about Detective Essen. He's stuck. He can't hold the guilt anymore. He has to do what's right. He has to do right by the law at that. Um, and if that means coming clean about his assorted affair against his wife, then so be it. Because he gets the problem out of the way, and um, hopefully they'd be able to get through it at some point in time. We're now on October 2nd, uh, and Jim is now interrogating Flass. Which is just awesome to see. Uh, it's nice to see, you know, Gordon get his, Gordon get his, like, way after trying so hard. Uh, but it's also on that same day that Barbara is getting phone calls uh, from blackmailers about Essen, at which case she just sighs and goes, yes, I already know, stop calling. Yeah, the plan what just can you do? right. Yeah, the plan just didn't work. <clears throat> Jim got to her before anyone else, and Barbara just got to completely tell them off at that point. But yeah, he's he was honest and told me about it. That's fine. And now they have no leverage, so Gordon's path only gets brighter. It would seem, or, or it would seem as their key witness has now been killed by rat poison. Well, yeah, he's been poisoned fairly heavily, and uh, he's been put in intensive care to hopefully save, hopefully save him. Um, and of course, that's it's just bad news for the case overall. If he goes, you know, like who would be left to testify, and Jim Gordon would be stuck at the bottom underneath all that corruption stuff. Uh, however, now Flash's main informant Skewers, uh, he's being set up to testify. His lawyer wants him in a blue suit, none of that pimp stuff, and smile nicely. Well, it's important to look your best for your big day. Uh, followed by October 12th, and congratulations, Jim and Barbara, it is a boy. James Gordon Jr. is finally born, and uh, the two couldn't be happier about it. Um... They're really looking to fix things. They're still looking to raise their family, and that's some powerful stuff for the Gordons. Uh, we cut over to Selena and Holly, who uh, apparently they robbed a shipment of toys looking for drugs inside. Uh, first, Selena rips open a Pinocchio-style puppet that looks a little bit like Scarface. Uh, that was pretty cool. Uh, not to mention uh, the Huckleberry and Elver Fub dolls that they happen to tear through as well. That's right. You know, you got that Warner Brother licensing. Might as well lean into it. Hey, use it. Fly it if you got it. Uh, we then jump on to November 2nd, and Batman's got himself a bat hang glider. Absolutely. Uh, that's actually pretty cool. You know, it's a uh, first time uh, use of something like that for him. So. It was certainly exciting to see it go down, to see Bruce Wayne, you know, first experience these, you know, means of transportation and stuff. This is when uh, <clears throat> we see why he's got the glider, why he's being all stealthy, as uh, the Roman Carmine Falcone is uh, having a little conversation with Johnny Vitti. Absolutely. 
Batman's not the only one who plots against uh, Falcone, but we'll get into that in a little bit. Um, he wants uh, VD, I'm guessing, to finish the job with Skeeters and, uh, you know, put him down permanently, as it were. But shortly after that, um, you know, it comes into a bit of a bit of a complication where uh, the Bat and the Cat meet and uh, the Bat and the Cat and the reinforcements of the crime boss, they're looking to stalk or stop or rob or whatever the case is, and they all get into a, you know, jolly little dance number. Everything uh, just gets violent. Everything just starts getting boardy and uh, scratchy and kicky, and, you know, everyone's having a great time out there. Uh, we now get on to November 3rd. Uh, obviously, this uh, these actions have made their way to the news. Uh, Alfred asks Bruce, hey, should I get your suit? And we get the classic line, never during the day. Uh, we also see Selena reading the papers and watching the news, in which they're calling Catwoman the Batman's assistant. And at this time, I'm fairly certain... Uh just the previous night before and headed towards Selena putting the, uh, like three scratch, uh, claw scar on uh, Carmine Falcone's face. So whenever you see him like in the future and he has those, um, just uh, claw marks on him, it was from Selena and whatever way they mean to tell it, it's just an absolute pleasure to go through with, uh, just the kind of rivalry that they happen to share over the past few arcs. All right, so we've got one big chunk of the movie left coming up, uh, but I say we, we should take our last uh, review commercial break because this is going to go awful quickly. Uh, we're going to fire through this because it's a lot of storytelling, but trust me, there is some good laughs coming up, especially if you're someone like me. Come on. Hey, folks, do you like fun recipes and delicious food? Are you a health-conscious person or someone who may be celiac? Well, check out the Twitter account Gluten's the Devil for fun recipes and delicious food on almost a daily basis. That's Gluten's the Devil at Twitter. Alright, we are back now. We are in the home stretch as Falcone does sick Johnny on Gordon. Uh, this is when, you know, the, the baby uh, starts crying in the middle of the night. It's Jim's turn to get that, everything ready for her. So he gets up with the baby, uh, gets a phone call. But, you know, this this is the jigsaw of it all because it's a trap. Uh, he gets the call that he's got to get into work. Uh, you know, in this time, this gives Johnny time to kidnap the baby, and his wife. Yeah, Loeb didn't exactly suggest for, um, or sorry, not Loeb, Matarin uh, didn't exactly suggest for, um, you know, Johnny to take the road that he did, but he took the road that he did. And uh, the worst thing you can do to a father in Gotham is kidnap his son, because, well, that's how you make crazy people. Like, could you imagine if Jim went overboard as opposed to, you know, still trying to be a good cop and trying to save his son's life in the same day? It would have been absolutely insane. Um, so, of course, uh, he has to go after him, you know? Uh, the crime family got a hold of his kid. Um, Gordon wasn't the only one giving chase to him, though. Um, no, Wayne, um, of course, not in the guise of Batman because never during the day. Uh, he gave chase uh, as well to uh, Gordon and the crime family that uh, had kidnapped his son. 
Um, Johnny was making his way out with little James, uh, followed up by, uh, you know, Daddy James, and followed up by Bruce, following to make sure everything was a-okay. The one thing that I chuckled at here was they pass a VHS and beta rental store. Uh, That was fantastic as well. Really great way to stick with the times there and give us the reminder of Blockbuster. Uh, You know, Bruce chases the kidnapper. Uh, Jim and Johnny start uh, chasing each other. Uh, And this is where Johnny holds the baby over the bridge. Mize, I'm going to let you tell this. So Gordon and uh, Johnny were doing their bit, right? And uh, they were fighting against one another, trying to make sure James was safe in the long run as well. And things started to get a little pressured and heated when the baby was uh, caught violently between the two men. Brian just managed to... <laughs> the baby squirted out of that grip and flew over the bridge. And the first sound <laughs> I heard... <laughs> Wasn't the baby crying going overboard? It was Jay fucking laughing at the fact that a baby just squeezed out and flew over a bridge. Somebody's <laughs> child is tossed to their death, and this first thing he does is chuckle. And of course, one would normally think that's not funny, and I can tell you, listening to that reaction, you're entirely wrong. It was hilarious, and I couldn't stop myself from laughing about it, because some baby just went over the bridge, Jay chuckled about it, and here I am laughing at Jay for chuckling about it, because he's finding it funny. He went over the bridge, we went over it again, and saw just how this baby flew, and it did look actually humorous, but... Um, not because of the fact that a baby going over the bridge is humorous, but the fact that because he started it, he started it. That's what makes me a bad person in this situation. He started it. The three of us, legit, we had to pause the movie, and we had tears going down our cheeks because we were laughing so hard just at the reaction of each other. Uh, Mize's reaction to me and my reaction to Mize's reaction. And, of course, Shauna knows the horrible person that I am deep inside. And uh, speaking of reaction, the looming reaction was uh, says followed uh, young James, regardless of his airborne adventure, uh, (laughs) was um, caught safely and um, kept from harm by one Bruce Wayne, who just jumped into the middle of everything for no good reason. And... uh, Jim, of course, knew right off the bat something was relatively close uh, with what uh, Essen was saying earlier on in regards to Bruce Wayne possibly being Batman. And seeing the sack of valor, you know, it really helped him uh, cooperate with Bruce by willingly withholding the information of who he actually is, apparently letting on that he actually knows now, but, you know, says absolutely nothing about it. You know, just in the favor of the fact that Bruce Wayne, a man, goes out of his way for no good reason whatsoever other than to do the right thing to help Jim rescue his son and make sure he's okay. Yeah, Jim even has a great line here, which gives Bruce the nod of, so I know, but we're all going to pretend I don't, where he says, I'm practically blind without my glasses. The insinuation there is more than enough to tell us that uh, the respect and friendship between the two is going to come together beautifully in the future. Um, The day is saved... um, Flask has, uh, you know, he's uh, in quite a bit of trouble. So he, of course, has done everything he can to save his own skin by ratting on Loeb. And uh, Loeb 
also is a under indictment. So those guys are fucked. They will not only that, but it's also mentioned that in the case, Loeb has also offered up Brendan. Oh my god! Like these people are just terrible. Just to cut his own sentence in uh, a little bit, he offered up Brendan as well as part of their conspiracy. With the recent success, this is going to make things so much easier once again for Gordon and uh, Bruce Wayne to work together as a detective-based duo in Gotham City. Far before you know the likes of Robin and uh, other partners and names happen to show up alongside the Dark Knight. Um, aside from the Dark Knight himself, though, things look up for Gordon as uh, he and Barbara go to attend marriage counseling to make sure that they get through all of uh, the fiasco that Gordon has gone putting through Bar- putting Barbara through the whole affair thing. Pardon me, and um, they're looking to you know just renew the strength of their bond and everything. And that's um, totally fantastic stuff. And it really helps uh, exaggerate how badass Jim Gordon actually is. Not just as, like, um, you know, hands-on uh, scenario kind of cop, but as uh, just an overall human being as a man. And uh, all that deliberation, uh, all that uh, self-doubt and uh, optimism coming forward from him uh, really helped, um, you know, build the respect and adoration for one Jim Gordon. Uh, from there, we get a closing monologue where Jim has mentioned that uh, someone is starting to poison the water reservoirs, but he has a friend that will look into it. I honestly think it's just a birthday clown peeing in the river. Well, you know, from knowledge, we know that it is a, a clown of some kind. However, that'll be a different bad adventure, as this was the official end of the movie. It's a great way to close it and uh, hopefully see more new chapters in the future regarding Batman, the Joker, and uh, larger likes of his rogues gallery as we've seen before. Uh, I thought it was a great little touch to it all. You can see how Batman Begins is almost directly inspired from this for at least a good half of that film. Oh yeah, and that's another great Batman film as well. Uh, Batman Begins, probably the best of the trilogy. Um Dark Knight Rises is that guilty pleasure kind of Batman movie, like how Batman and Robin is, and uh, the Dark Knight is just the Dark Knight. It's um, it's good to people, it's bad to people. There's no gray area. Uh, now, I say it's the official end as, uh, you know, this is a movie I've loved for years, so it is one that I have on my digital profile. Uh, but with that, it comes with the bonus feature, the Heart of Vengeance documentary, The Making of Year One. The creation of the Bat the um, progression conflict of the bat and uh, just the overall modern day presence that Batman has on all of us uh, going through uh, monumental featured appearances through various mannerisms and uh, a lot of alternative mysteries and universes to explore. Now, of course, this did also remind me that this movie is part of its own little mini canon uh, as it is the first chapter that goes along with the last chapter of The Dark Knight Returns, that does have an animated feature. The two-parter, yeah, it's a fantastic two-parter, too. What do we have on Doc for next week? Stuff. I say we make that stuff Dark Knight Part 1. Then do Dark Knight Part 1. Yeah, we can, do, we can do Dark Knight Part 1 for that one. There we go. So next week's film will be Dark Knight Part 1. Uh, we'll see how we fit part two in with the schedule for our Halloween. Perhaps we'll just do part two the week after. Uh, we'll just jump right into all the spooky, scary skeleton stuff. Perfect.
Well, hell, that'll be the plan then. Uh, if you're playing the Is Sean a Sleeping Drinking game at home, she is snoring beside us. Absolutely. It seems to be 156, and uh, she passed up quite some time ago, so probably around 45. She keeps waking up now and then. Uh, she's she's, she's awake now. Yeah, Sean, yeah. do you want to say goodnight to the people? No. No? She doesn't care. She doesn't know what time of day you're listening to this. It could be nighttime. It could be daytime. It could be lunchtime. It could be this time. It could be that time. However, it will always be that same pod time. And I, before we be, before we get, let it go, I gotta give a shout out. I promise to give a shout out. Shout out to my friend Kyle Smith. God damn it, Kyle Smith! You put the cape and the Red Bull away. God damn it! I'll come over there and spit in your bushes. <laughs> so as Mize was saying, we will see you the same pod time on the same pod channel.